0: Well, we are in Ezra chapter 7, if you want to uh, go there. And I wanted to talk today about being skilled in the Word of God. And uh, the challenge and the question always is, in our lives, what is it that we um, really think about the Lord? It it amazes me that when we are uh, excited about anything in our life, no matter what it may be, uh, we can we can learn all the uh, stats that we want to learn. Um, hey Kyle, you may want to turn down the white cord, the bottom one. We're just getting some feedback there. Um, we can learn what we want to. So if you're a big Packers fan, you maybe uh, follow all the stats of Aaron Rodgers, and you can say everything that he does or the receivers that they have. If you are a uh, uh, if you love to cook. Uh, maybe you have all those substitutions in your life that are, are memorized. You know, what can you do to if you don't have butter? What can you replace that with? Uh, other things in our life, whatever it is, whatever it is that consumes us, the people have a, a way of really um, becoming knowledgeable in those things. And so my question is, as we call ourselves Christians and as we are Christ followers, we've given our life to Christ How concerned are we with the Word of God? Have we strove to uh, know the stats for better uh, use of a word? Uh, Do we really know what God's Word says about different things? Are we skilled in the Word of God that when we hear a lie or hear a, a mistruth, that we can recognize it for what it is? And it's amazing again today As we look around, I don't mean just today, but in society as a whole in this time, that even in the church we see things. And we we started talking several weeks ago about how even the elect can be deceived. Those that are are Christians, the things that we get consumed with get sidetracked with and it causes division within the body. And that should concern us. That should, that should wrench at our heart to preserve that unity, never compromising the word of God, but that we strive to, to be one in the points that, that Christ had as we are going through um, Saturday evenings and we've been having a, a wonderful time going through uh, the feasts of Israel and, and how that relates to uh, the New Testament church. And this morning as we were going through uh, John, We talked about the first few miracles that Jesus was doing. It's easy to get sidetracked on things. So who knows what the first miracle that Jesus did in the Bible was? Nobody? Turn Turn the water into wine. So we see that first miracle. And what's the thing that we want to talk about? Wine. We want to talk about the wine. Why did Jesus do wine? Was it strong wine? Was it weak wine? Was it grape juice? Was it this? Was it that? Does that give us justification to do things now that you know? Or or why were they doing it? And we get sidetracked on the wine and we miss what the miracle. We miss what it is that God was doing in that situation. That there was people with a need, and that He was answering that call to the need. But see, we can get distracted on so many things. And as we look at Israel that came back, and as we are reading through Ezra here, we see... People that could get distracted. We talked about that last week a little bit. But we saw that they came and they began that work. And it said that they all spoke with one voice. There was unity as they came. The decree came down. They had to stop the work. They built the temple. They had to stop the work on the walls. And for many years, they were without working on those walls. And, And what happened? They got distracted. They began to focus on their lives and on their homes. and It said that, as you read the history, it says that they began to build themselves very nice homes and, and luxury and all the things, and, and their focus became upon them until we got to last week, where it was renewed again. Their vision was renewed, their purpose was renewed. God was at work behind the scenes and he spoke through the king and said, you may continue on to do the work. And so we're in chapter 7 now and we see the arrival of Ezra. This is where actually Ezra enters into the the situation. And the first five verses are just the genealogy of of Ezra. You can read through that. Uh, And Ezra was a scribe. So uh, just keep that in mind. We're going to talk about that a little bit. There's sort of uh, different thoughts on what a scribe would be. But he wasn't just a scribe, but he was a skilled scribe. As we read in in 6, it says, Then Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord, his God, upon him. As we look at this, uh, there's a couple things that just hop out in that one verse. One is that he was a skilled scribe. Now, as we talk about that, we need to understand that that Ezra was one of the later Jews that came. Okay, so he was one of the later ones who returned from captivity from uh, Judah to Jerusalem. So as he came, uh, Kidder says this. I. I, I Old Testament a lot of times I read a little bit more in commentaries because uh, they just bring out some depth and history that I'm not quite as um, uh, familiar with. And one of the things that Kidder said is this, his name stands very high in Jewish traditions where he came to be regarded as a second Moses. I never knew that. I never knew that he was esteemed that greatly in in Israel. And indeed, it was he, more than any other man, who stamped Israel with his lasting character as the people of a book. The people of a book. Isn't that interesting? Now, what we like to be known as the people of the book, the people of the Bible, people that hold God's word highly in our life. So he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. And sometimes we think about that uh, as sort of a a glorified secretary. When I used to hear the word scribe, I thought, well, here's a boring thing where this guy is sitting down and and all they do is is copy uh, the word of God over and over and over again. And that was one of their duties that they would do because they didn't have printing presses, they didn't have uh, copy machines like we have today. Uh, they couldn't look online at it, so uh, the, the books that were written, the, the parchments and those that were going out to the churches and that Israel would carry with them were very rare. It would take them a long time to sit and pen down. They didn't have, again, a big ballpoint pen to do this with. They had a very tedious job at doing it. The other thing with the scribe is that they had to be very careful And this is where it talks about the skill of this. Because sometimes when we copy things down, uh, we don't get all the facts or all the uh, punctuations and all these things. So a scribe's job could be very tedious. They had to be very precise in the things that they did. We have a machinist here, and and Matt knows all about precision. Scott knows about precision. You got to be within hundreds and thousands. You know, for some things to work. Very close tolerances. Otherwise, it doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's not going to do what it was intended to do. The Word of God back then was like that. It made a difference. You know, when when Jesus talks about a jot and a tittle, and the Bible talks about a jot and a tittle, those things could change a whole meaning of a word. And so... To be an expert in that means that you were very meticulous. You would, you would see how it was written previously. And you would copy that down exactly, checking and double-checking, and maybe even triple-checking to make sure that it was held correct. And so we see that even uh, in, in recent times when uh, people transcribed the Bible from the, the Greek and the, the Hebrew or the Aramaic. When they have translated the Bible, when you have scholars that do that, they are ones that have studied the language. They know the language very well. They know not only the, how, how the word reads and what it says, but the meaning and the root words that, that go behind that. And so they're very cautious in what they do. now. Uh, again in the modern English there's some versions that are called paraphrases Um, they're just sort of a loose translation of what it means but there are more of them that are more exacting in the things that uh, are stated now uh, we know that there's no English Bible that is perfect in its translation the only uh, perfect translation of the Bible was when God gave it himself his word as he gave it was inerrant but we believe that, that the spirit works through the writing of his word, through the reading of his word. And so it's very important as a scribe to get those things right. And so that's what Ezra was. And he wasn't someone who simply wrote, but he was somebody that precisely wrote what was given. And we get this about what Ezra was. And so we could say that, that he was a a man of maybe detail. I think you would have to be a man of detail in those situations. And so the, for in the Jewish culture of that day, and we had to sort of put ourselves back in, in that culture, um, a skilled uh, scribe was an expert. A skilled one would be an expert in, in doing the things of the law of Moses. And someone who was really highly trained... You know, they, they mentored under others for a long time before they would ever get that title of scribe. And so they were important and they were influential. And we need to understand that too as, as we apply God's word in our life. You know, there are individuals today that, that want the easy road in a lot of things in life. A lot of people want to win the lottery. I don't know how much money goes into lotteries, uh, but people a lot of times want to buy that lottery so they can get rich quick. You know, the days of really spending time and working hard and applying yourself and investing and and doing those things, sort of is second nature. We all have that desire to, oh, you know, I just wish that uh, we had all this money and it would take away all of our problems and, and, you know, I could be rich and not have to worry about working and and doing all these things. And we don't really apply ourselves. And so it is with the Word of God. Many times you can come to church and you can listen to me and, and I would say I believe that Uh, As I preach through the Word of God, uh, I believe myself to to, to be as accurate as I can. There are times when I make mistakes and I get corrected on those things, and that's great and wonderful. That's what the body does. I am not perfect in my uh, interpretation of all things, but I pray and I I believe that God leads me to, to share some things. But don't just believe things because I say them. You need to believe them because the Word of God says them. Sometimes we get into the habit where we just listen to the radio. We listen to some speaker on the radio. And, and we just hang on as every word. And if he says it, it's got to be true. Well, it's not always that way. A lot of times people have agendas. A lot of times ministries can have agendas in the things that they do. And maybe they are even, you know, sincere in, in what they are trying to accomplish. But when we look at the whole of things... It may not be that way. And they end up dividing out the body of Christ. I've had people that have listened to speakers that have said that, uh, speakers that I hold very near and dear, and I think most people here would. Joseph Stoll was the president of Moody Bible Institute for a long time. Um, Just a a great teacher, a great theologian in his things. Very applicable. Had many people run through there. Uh, I found people that have, have wanted to condemn what he does. Stuart Briska, another ministry, um, I believe it's, uh, and, and Ray Pritchard is another one that, uh, they're good men of God and they have applications and they reach out to a lot of people but somewhere in the news, somewhere that we hear some Christian circle will say well I think that person isn't right, that person's in the midst of this. Sometimes they can be right about things but sometimes we just believe what others say without really searching it out ourselves. As a scribe, Ezra would have been one that searched things out. And he did. And we saw Israel that said, as um, people had offered to help build, he says, no, uh, the, the Jewish people had said, no, we, we don't need that help. We want to keep ourselves pure. Because when we condemned ourselves last time, when we uh, started worshiping other gods, when we became uh, involved with other things, bad things happened to Israel, we got exiled and so one of the main duties of this scribe and of Ezra was this. First was to preserve the word of God. Now that doesn't just mean that uh, it never changes as far as uh, applications and things like that. To preserve the word of God means we look at what God's intent was through a scripture. What does he, he mean when he says certain things? So as we as we read through the scriptures we, we look at things a couple different ways. We look at the actual words that were stated, and what do those words mean? Sometimes they're very clear. If it's, if it's clear, it's clear. We can also look at the situation. Well, what what was the intent? Who is he speaking to? So we look at the crowd, because not everything that is written in the Bible would speak into our situation. So if if there are certain things that were spoken you know, exactly to the Jewish people about Jewish cultures. For you and I, that wouldn't have direct application, though we could learn things from it to apply to our life. But it may not mean that. So we look at the audience that it is also being addressed to. So we want to preserve the Word of God. What is it that the Word says? What is the audience that it is spoken to? And then what is the intent? What was trying to be accomplished through that portion of Scripture? Now, as I said, sometimes the scripture is is very clear. And we come to a point in our life, and each one of you has to make this decision, just as you do in salvation, is do I believe the word of God? Or do I believe what the world is going to teach? Do I believe the, the whispers of the things of the world? Or do I believe what God has said through his word? And that's a decision each of us needs to make. You can't have it both ways. God's word is not a smorgasbord. You don't sort of go in there and say, well, I like to believe this because it fits into my life, but I'm not going to believe this because it doesn't fit into my life. We look at God's word and says, you know, God's word says it, I believe it. That's good enough for me. That's my stance. Now that doesn't mean that there's things in the the Bible that I don't wrestle with a little bit in my flesh or in my mind or in my my thoughts and things that I don't understand. Because there are those things in the Bible. But I still believe God's word to be true. And as it would say every man, a liar. So God's word is always true. And if I disagree with God's word, I understand that I'm wrong. And I need to come to an understanding to believe in God's word. So we want to preserve God's word. And that just isn't the pastor's duty. That isn't just the theologian's duty. That's every believer's duty. We want to hold true to what God's word says. The second thing that Ezra would have done as a scribe would have been to teach the word of God. Now some have the gifts of teaching, but guess what? We are all teachers. Just by our life. Just by eyes that are upon us. Okay? So we have those that may... Bring the Word of God to you in a Sunday morning service or in a teaching service, in a classroom service. We have many gifted uh, teachers throughout the radio and through uh, media sources. Many, many gifted teachers. But again, when we go back to preserving the Word, we want to make sure that they're good teachers. We want to make sure that they stand on the Word of God. But then we want to teach it. We want to share it. So how do we teach? Well, we can teach verbally, like we're doing today. I'm up here, I'm sort of expounding on what God's Word says. Hopefully when we leave today, we're going to know a little bit more about Ezra. We're going to know a little bit more how, like Ezra, we can be these people that proclaim these things, preserve these things, teach these things, administrate them to others. But we also do it by our life. And as the saying goes, uh, most people would say, I would rather see a good sermon any day than hear one. So our life is an example to those that are around. Because, see, we can teach and preach about love. Well, you know, we gotta love everybody. We gotta, we gotta you know, love is, is the central thing of, of our Christian faith, and I believe it. Everything that we are to do, we are to do in love. Whatever you do, do it all into the glory of God. We do it in love. Sometimes we rebuke, but it needs to be done in love. We correct, it needs to be done in love. We edify, it needs to be done in love. Love needs to be the motivating factor in our life because it was for Christ. Christ went to the cross. Why? Because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So the love was the motivating factor of everything that Jesus does. And it needs to be also in our life. So we can say that, but then how do we treat our neighbor? How do we treat others that think a little bit different than us? How do we you know, uh, meld in with society as far as, you know, being patient and loving and kind with those around us. Speaking the truth to those around us. So that's another way that we can teach. So as a scribe, he would preserve. He would also teach the word of God and then also administrate. And that's really the way that we live it out in our life. Interpreting and applying it So we can interpret the Word of God, but now we need to know how do we apply it to our lives. For me, it does no good to uh, read through an Old Testament thing just to teach you the history of Israel or just to teach you the history of Ezra or the kings. To me, that's of no value if we don't see how we can also apply those lessons to our life. How can it make us stronger? How can it make us better? How can it make us more Christ-like? Because the Old Testament is really all about Christ. It's all pointing to Christ and how, how he was going to come and the way that they needed to live and the requirements upon Israel and, and also on, on the, uh, the Gentiles of the day, just as it is in the New Testament. So that was his job. Morgan said this, As messengers of the will of God, They took the place of the prophets. So this is the job of the scribe at this time. As messengers of the will of God, they took the place of the prophets with this difference. Instead of receiving new revelations, they explained and applied the old revelations. Of this new order, Ezra was at once the founder and the type. So that was the scribe. That was the the job of the scribe and what they were supposed to do. And so as we read through 7 through 10, we see that he's arriving in Israel and he's got a mission. He's got a call on his life. Now as we sit here today, I want to tell each of you that you have a call on your life. God has his hand upon you if you are a born-again believer and he has a call on your life. And even if you're not a Christian and you're sitting here, he still has a call on your life. It's yet to be revealed to you until you come into that relationship with him. But God has a purpose for each and every one of us. He has called us to be doers of his word, as James would say, and not hearers only. He's got a plan for us. And until we can get to the point where we see the plan that is there, and until we can respond to that in obedience, we're not going to have peace in our life. We're not going to have that blessing in our life. Blessing comes with obedience to God's word, following God in his word. The Bible tells us this, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. See, there's an obedience to that. It doesn't just say that Jesus is going to come and, and remove these things. It says, I cast them upon him. I throw them at the foot of the cross. Those things, those, those anxieties, those burdens, those those things I wrestle with, I give those to Christ. And I trust him to deal with it. And really that that talk about casting is, it's now out of my hands. Sometimes we think of it, uh, you know, casting as like a fishing pole while I still got the line with the string on. That's one of our mistakes and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Casting in the biblical terms was like this, I have something and I threw my my dime into uh, the fountain. It's no longer my dime. It's no longer in my possession. I have given that over. I have casted that into the pond. That's what God talks about with us to give those things over to the Lord. So we read about this, his arrival to, his, uh, to Jerusalem in the mission. So, one of the things I want you to think about when you leave today is what is your mission? What is your mission for Christ? What is your mission in this church? What is it that God has called you to in your family, in society? And in the church, because God has this for each and every one of us. It says here, and I'm just going to read the, the bottom part of, uh, well, I'll read 9 and 10. Well, 8, nine, ten. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. Again, this is the second time. Upon the hand of his good hand upon him, before it said, to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. I want you to understand that as a believer, we're talking about God's hand upon us. God's hand directing us. God's hand guiding us. And I want you to think about this in, in this sense. That when we talk about following Christ or, or God is with us through our journeys, I want you to think about sometimes when you're walking with somebody. And sometimes you just have their, your, your hand upon their shoulder as they're navigating through different things. And you're just there to, to steady them. I went out on an on a EMT call this morning and, and we were had to help uh, an elderly person. And, you know, one of the things we do is we, we uh, sort of get under their arm and we help them. Okay? God's hand is upon us. It means that if, if he says, hey, you need to go this way and, and I start walking and I drift here, his hand is there and he just sort of guides me back to where I need to be. His hand is upon us. The other thing with his hand upon us is that's an intimate action. We're not a sterile environment in Christianity to where, you know, we don't uh, have the intimacy. The, the touch is an intimate thing that God has created for us. Husband and wives hold hands or they sit with their arms around one another. We come to church, say we have a meeting group, we shake hands, how you doing? You know? I could just say, hey hey, Matt, how you doing? You know, he's going to say, what, what's wrong with him? But you get right up there. Get right up in his grill. How you doing this morning? That's the intimacy, the touch, the feel. God's hand is upon us. And he said that twice already. He said that twice already. It speaks volumes about Ezra's relationship with God. And so it says his hand, God was upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statues and ordinances in Israel. Don't miss that 10th verse. If you have a highlighter, highlight that verse. Why was all this happening? For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek. I want to ask you, when you come to church... Are you preparing your heart to receive what it is that God has for you? When you enter into a devotion time at your home or somewhere else, are you preparing your heart? And, and really by preparing your heart, again, you're going to the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, but I mean, are you, are you making that step, Lord? Prepare me to receive what it is that I need to hear today. See, Ezra, it says here, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord And not just to seek what it was going to hear. Part two was, and to do it. Is there obedience that comes, or is there blessing that comes with obedience? Yes. Time and time again in the scriptures, and and I I will clarify this, that many times God can still bless us without our obedience. He he blesses us times when we don't deserve it. We can look back and many times see God working things to, to his glory. In our lives and sometimes to our benefit without us being obedient. But I mean there is obedience and that's a promise, a blessing when we are obedient to God. When we are following what he says and so it says that he he set his heart upon the Lord and then to do it. And then thirdly to teach. To teach those things. So in our life as we look at these things I, I want you to think about that. Are you preparing your heart to receive the things of the Word of God? Okay. Then are you saying, you know, Lord, whatever it is that you show me, I will do it. Because here's the story sometimes, you know, we say, man, Lord, can, can you just teach me some patience? This is one we use a lot. Lord, can you just teach me some? I need patience because, oh, you know, I just need patience. And then so God brings some things in to teach us patience, and it's like, I don't want to be patient. I want to just go my own way and they got to hear what I have to say And you know, Lord teach me to bridle my tongue oh man I wrestle with this one at times just teach me to bridle my tongue okay and so, so an opportunity comes and it's like mmm, no I'm not going to bridle my tongue I got to say what I want to say see it's not just asking the Lord what you can do But it's preparing us to also say, Lord, whatever it is, you say, I will do it. And it's not that I will just do it, but I'm going to teach others to do it also. See, as Ezra came through through verse 9 here, if you were to really go between the two spots, it was about a 500-mile journey, but because of where they had to go up along the Euphrates River, it was almost 900 miles that they traveled. You talk about commitment, there is was commitment to the Lord. And as you read on here a little bit further in the chapter, it talks about some of the children of Israel. It says, "And But some, for many chose rather to continue in the land of their captivity. Isn't that amazing? When you read the history of Israel, even when they were set free, you know, they got out there and they started grumbling and complaining. Complaining about the food, complaining about the water, Complain about the harsh condition. Complain about this and that. Some people say, I want freedom. I want freedom to worship God. I want freedom in my spirit. I want these things. And we complain about the situations that we're in. and, And Christ will tell us, this is what you need to do. Here's the plan. And that there are those that choose to stay in captivity. I've seen this in real life. When I worked at at Lincoln Hills, a juvenile prison, we'd have kids that were doing so good and they were getting ready to go and and sometimes a couple weeks or a month before uh, they were to go back home, they would do something horrendous through the institution, get sentenced to more time. and, And I always go ask them, you know, you're so close to getting out, what in the world? But see, for some of them, they couldn't deal with the unknown. They couldn't deal with the change. For some people, even in the, the men's prison, that's all they know. They leave, they do years in captivity. And I'll talk with them and they'll say, you know, I've been locked up. I mean, some I talk to, I've been locked up almost 30 years. I can get out. And, and, and they go out. And then shortly I see them back. It's all they've ever known. And they don't step into it. And for some of us in our spiritual realm, we live in this world that gets its hooks into us. We think only fun can happen if we do, are doing this and this and this and this. That, that entertainment is only this or this or this. And Christ says, I have come to set you free. And we say, but that's not freedom, that's restriction. How many of us before we were Christians said the Christian life is is, is boring, it's restrictive, I'm not going to be able to have any fun. Uh, you know, and we get this picture where i, I got to sit in, in front of a TV with my Bible, or not even in front of some of us can't watch TV. I can just sit with my Bible and I can never smile or have fun. Or, and we look at the Christian life as something that is oppressive. And so we choose to stay in captivity of the things of this world Israel was the same. It says here in Zechariah 2, 6, and 7, Ho, ho, come forth, and so forth. Deliver thyself, O Zion, and dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Some people choose to stay in their mess, in their mud. They don't cast their cares upon the Lord. They remain in their dysfunction. They remain in their non-belief. They remain... In, in their disobedience to what God has called them to do. Ezra, Ezra excuse me, credited everything back to God. You know, we sing one version of Amazing Grace, my chains are broken. I've been set free. It's nice to know, and it's a joy to know, and it's a peace to know, That Christ has come to set the captives free. Many of us are in bondage to our emotions. To our feelings. To bitterness. To anger. To resentment. We're held captive by these things. And I I want you to think. Maybe just look at your life. And I want to ask you. Are you held captive in these things? In the negativity that, that surrounds us all the time. Are you held captive into that? Are you choosing to stay in there? Because if you're choosing to stay in there, you are captive to that. Because as a believer, Christ has opened the door. But guess what? To get outside, you need to go through that door and leave the rest behind. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach it. He came to seek, do, and teach God's word. Are you willing to do that in your life? He prepared his heart. Again, just to seek. First to seek. As you leave today, I want to ask you, are you willing to seek what it is that God has for you to do? Seeking means looking to God. Not to others, not to radio talk show hosts, not to just preachers or or other teachers. Seeking God. And we seek God through prayer and through his word. We can receive it also through other elements, but always seeking God. Not seeking a denomination. Not seeking uh, some peculiar thing within your religion. But seeking Christ. He sought the law of the Lord. This means that really his full impact of what he was doing made him want to fellowship with God in his word. When you are seeking something, that's, that's different than just, you know, I'm just sort of glancing or looking. Seeking means I am searching for that. I've lost, you know, I've set my wedding ring down somewhere, I can't find it, and we tear the house apart. We're seeking that. Seeking as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool. Another song we sing once in a while. Are you seeking Christ and the Lord with all your, with all yourself, really, to do it? This means we're not hearers only, but doers of his word. This is the step that gets difficult for people. Because we've made church, and we've made religion, and we've made Jesus, we've made everything about uh, that was good about God. We've made it about me. This is my preference. This is what I want. This is what I seek. This is what you know, I want to have. This is me, 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 me. I have a a little cartoon I post every now and then and it says something about the effect why yes, the world does evolve around me. That's sort of the the society of what we think about today. How does this impact me? What am I going to benefit out of this? What am I getting out of this? And if I'm not getting what I want then it's so easy to go because it's about me. We need to commit to do it. Because it's about Him. It's about Christ and His call on our life and what He wants us to do. Because when we get to heaven and and we say, I've accomplished everything I've wanted to accomplish in this life, we have this fallacy, you know, the bucket list thing or whatever. And it's not that we can't enjoy these things in life because we can. But, you know, we we got this thing, oh, you know, before I die, I want to do this. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. All these things. Maybe we'll stand before Christ someday and, you know, and we're going to say, Well, Lord, I did everything I wanted to do before I died. And He's going to maybe ask us, Did you do everything I wanted you to do before you died? Just a thought. I don't know what the conversation's going to be, and we don't get to heaven by our works. We're saved by grace, but we're put here on earth to do what He has. Third is to teach, to teach others. How is that? Well, that might just be you're sitting at work having lunch with somebody and you just get to share a little bit about Christ, what he's done in your life. You've just taught that person something. Wherever we can speak the Lord into somebody's life, we are teaching something. And it's really the Holy Spirit that teaches it behind the scenes. The Bible tells us we need to be sowers of the word. We just put it out there. God gives the increase. God makes it grow. Clark is one other, as we close, another commentator. And he says, Here is a fine character of a minister of God. He prepares, he fixes, purposes, and determines with his heart, with all his powers and affections, to seek the law of God and to do it himself, that he may be properly qualified to teach its statutes, in judgments to Israel. How does that relate to me? We've been talking about it all morning. We prepare in our heart, seek diligently after what he has, that we might share that or impart some of that upon somebody else. In Ezra seven ten the Living Bible translates it this way, and it's, this is a paraphrase, but I just it's a way that it reads. Ezra had determined to study and to obey the laws of the Lord and to become a Bible teacher, teaching those laws to the people of Israel. It's sort of a simple way of, of reading it and understanding it. And I would pray that that is also your desire. That when we come to something, we come seeking When we do our devotion, we come seeking. When we we open our Bible, we come seeking what it is that He has. And the purpose in our hearts to follow and to let others know also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ who has made all the difference in our life. Lord, may we be seekers, may we be doers. And may we be teachers. We just thank you, Lord, again for this morning together. We thank you for the, the blessing of being in the presence of our church family. Lord, may we encourage one another in our walk. May we love one another with the love of your Spirit in our life. May our motives be true and pure. May our speech be that that lifts others and encourages others to a relationship with you. We ask your blessing now as we go. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.